0: Moon
1: Pig. Hello, world, and welcome to the Moonpig Tech podcast. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Moonpig's journey towards continuous delivery. And I'm joined today by Alex and Jakob, who are two of the people that helped us get there. Um, Jakob, perhaps you could introduce yourselves to our listeners, please.
2: Yeah, of course, Richard. So, uh, yeah, my name is Jakob. Uh, I'm a Swedish uh, software developer uh, and that's been doing software development for the past uh, 10 years now. Uh, I've lived in London since uh, 2011 and worked at Moonpig since late 2014 and yeah, been on the whole kind of journey to to get Moonpig to uh, where it is now in terms of uh, continuous delivery and continuous integration. Excellent. So you've seen lots of change. Yeah, so much change. Uh, It is very different today than it was (laughs) uh, four or five years ago, but that's natural. And uh, yeah, moving in the right direction. Uh, Sometimes we had to backtrack, but you know, I think that's also also natural. Okay. And Alex?
0: Hello, uh, my name's Alex. I'm engineering manager at Minpig, Um, not Swedish. Uh, still a developer, sort of. Um, I've been here for about three and a half years, um, so I've seen quite a bit of the transition to
1: where we are now, and
0: been a big part of that. So, yeah.
1: Excellent. Um, so perhaps we can start off with a picture of where Moonpig was before we started on the continuous delivery journey. What, what was the um, what was the situation?
2: Sure. Uh, I think none of us were really here when it really started but i can kind of tell you the rumors that i've heard and uh, <laughs> what people have told me so um moon Pig, to begin with started back in 2000 right so it's 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 a legacy application that's kind of been developed in.net for the entire time and i think they probably used every possible software uh, that microsoft's ever come out with <laughs> through that time so That obviously means it's quite a large and complicated system. Um, So when I started in late 2014, there was really one team working on the website and they were kind of doing agile, had just started doing agile uh, running, I think three to four wind, uh, three to four week cycles and Releasing at the end of each cycle and releasing was really difficult. It took a lot of time, a lot of effort, sometimes like takes days to get the release out. Okay. Yeah. That sounds challenging.
1: Um, I guess if it's a a three or four week cycle, there's an awful lot of work that's done in that time and an awful lot of testing that needs to be done. And therefore the risk
2: is higher. Yeah, definitely. And the weren't that many tests either, and the tests that were there, uh, definitely like a lack of trust from both the developers and the business that those tests would capture any kind of issues that you would find, and that didn't help at all either.
1: Okay. Um, Alex, perhaps you could um, explain what it was like to actually contribute to that code base during those cycles? Um,
0: I mean, it wasn't bad. We all worked on feature branches. Um, which sort of helped um however we had big problems with our test environment so for example if one team wanted to uh test something on qa that they'd, they'd block up qa for the whole process so if you wanted to test something it was a big nightmare um so that was a real blocker for a lot of teams um and then you'd have so many merge conflicts especially towards the end of that that cycle it got quite terrible
1: yeah i was about to say that that there's that's the one thing that struck me there with the feature branches. I know the shared environment things are um, obviously going to be problematic, but just just trying to integrate everyone's branches in in time for that for well three or four week um, occurrence of a release must have been quite challenging.
0: Uh, it, I can't remember it being too bad because you you'd you'd merge your branches fairly often, um, but it was whoever was the poor sod that had to had to do the merge
2: at the end of the. Uh, towards the end of the cycle, uh, did not have a lot of fun, I don't think. <laughs> no, and I think it also depends on how many teams you are. So when, you, when when there was one team, it was actually maybe easier in a way because there's easier to communicate within your team saying like, OK, so I'm working on this branch now and, you know, you have your stand up every morning, etc. But when you start spreading out into multiple teams, that communication isn't as natural and you'll struggle a little bit more to communicate the changes and saying like, well, I'm going to change this part of the code base. Well, I'm going to change the same part. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think you get the merge conflicts because two teams both have their targets that they're trying to achieve and they're, you know, if there's no coordination at a top level, it's quite easy to suddenly start changing the same parts of the website and suddenly you're just in merge hell.
1: Yeah, and I suppose if, if one of the teams that were contributing towards that particular release um, were running late, it would delay everyone? Or would um, they just not make yeah, the cut? Yeah, i
0: had a pretty rough two-week cutoff, especially when I joined YouTube. The the scrum cycles were two weeks. At the end of that two weeks, one team, which flip-flopped every two weeks, would just release everything. If your stuff's not ready, your stuff's not ready. Um it did make releasing, releasing was a nightmare. And when you did a release, you had to communicate across both teams, make sure everything that was ready was ready and that it wasn't going to destroy everything when it does go out.
1: Okay. And how about how, outside of the, the tech team, were the business happy with a four week release cycle?
2: At that time, I'm not sure how much the business really thought about it. Obviously they wanted their changes as quickly as possible, but we just introduced a CMS just before I joined. So I think, you know, that was a big change in productivity for them already, that they could suddenly make changes without a web release. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at that time, I don't think they, they thought about it too much. Um, but that started changing. And obviously the business want, wanted to get changes out as quickly as possible, especially when we started focusing more on doing uh, A-B tests, for example, and, and getting feedback uh, more frequently, because then being blocked by a release isn't a great place to be and i think everyone wanted to test smaller pieces of work rather than get you know getting something big out there spending weeks and then potentially throwing it away oh, yeah Re- release
0: at the end of a two week or four week cycle was always a nightmare because so much had gone into it that you just don't know what's going to no one really tests the whole thing, and then everybody towards the end of the um, the cycle has to basically regression test the whole website to make sure it's all gravy.
1: Yeah, so I guess a rollbacks even more expensive as well in that scenario. Do we really have a rollbacks back then? Did we? Uh, I was,
2: yeah, I was going to say, how did we do rollbacks <laughs> back I don't then? Think we did. Um, I think was it we fixed forward. Was it? Yeah, a little hmm. bit. Um, okay. We definitely we used regular like Git flow, so uh, mass, uh, release branches and kind of hotfix branches, etc. If there was a, was something broken. Um, But yeah, and in the beginning, we didn't even have the ability to kind of uh, pull the servers out of the load balancers automatically or anything like that, which also meant that, you know, as a developer, you couldn't very easily release a change yourself. You always had to involve the operations team and they had to do a whole bunch of manual work, uh, which no one really enjoys, right? Like they basically had to manually pull the servers out, then wait for our code to be deployed. Then they had to warm all the servers up and then they had to put them back in and then you had to do the next half. It's just, yeah, took forever. Okay, so
1: so there was definitely some pain felt over the, the existing process that was in place. Where did the, the drive to change it come from? Was it from the tech team or was it from um, the business? I think it kind of felt like it came from the tech team. It, it just yeah,
2: I would agree happening with that.
0: from us. Um, yeah, we just kind of got frustrated at the the pace of change and just wanted to push it forward ourselves so that's where it mainly came from
1: okay so what was step one on the plan then so, so you were in this this world of pain where it's a big release that happens once a month or or thereabouts
2: what was the first thing you were going to change I'm trying to remember where did we start I imagine we started by looking at trunk based development actually yeah right? and how to get there right yes so with the feature branchers, as we said, it's like the merge conflicts and the shared environment problem, etc. was one of the first things that we kind of wanted to try and get rid of. Uh, so we then looked at, you know, OK, trunk based development seems like it could solve those problems. So kind of how would we go about doing that? And as I remember it, uh, the team I was in at the time, we kind of trialed that. And we went over to trunk-based development while the other team continued Didn't with feature we have feature toggles in place before that, though? I don't think we did, but do I might not. be remembering it wrong. Um, I, do,
0: I do remember being the, the first team out of the two to do the trunk-based, mm. just for the sake of it. I can't remember. Maybe, yeah,
2: feature toggles came after it, a think, actually. You're right.
0: I think so, because yeah.
2: basically what happened was we went to trunk-based development, and then you realize trunk-based development is great, but if all changes go on master, how do you make sure you can release whenever you want to? You still kind of have to, if you don't have any feature toggles, you still have to make sure that you don't release code that is broken mm-hmm. and that's kind of where i think the feature toggles mm-hmm. came in
1: okay yeah so so you went to trunk-based development you realized that there's a, a problem there in in itself which yeah. is that if you're halfway through a job people can't release safely yeah and you introduce feature toggles yes can you tell us a little bit about that
0: yeah um i mean in started um, we did it ourselves basically Uh, a contractor essentially built our feature package which was essentially a JSON file that it read from so every feature toggle was in this JSON file for every environment and then you'd toggle them on toggle off for your own machine and then for the other environments and push that up and that's where it kind of stemmed from didn't it
2: yeah I think it's worth mentioning at this point like we are completely uh, on-prem deployments uh, so this JSON file that we had was just on a shared drive oh, that okay. all servers then had access to and could read from. I think the other interesting thing with the way we started is we started, so being C-sharp developers, statically typed language. We are obviously going to do statically typed feature toggles. Now that wasn't a great idea, it turned out. So the way we kind of did that was we introduced a NuGet package, which contained all of our statically typed feature definitions. And if you wanted to use your feature, you would pull that package in and you would then use the feature from there. Now, in in theory, that's great, right? Like you can't accidentally uh, type the wrong name in or anything like that. But what that did mean was that you had lots of teams wanting to do feature toggles adding their own statically typed in, needing to update the NuGet package. And then, for example, in the website, which is still a fairly big monolithic application, everyone was constantly upgrading the NuGet package for the feature definitions. And that in itself actually caused quite a few yeah, issues. It was
0: quite, you'd have toggles disappear, people turn on and turn off, and you just like, what's going on? It, was yeah. a, it turned out to make it a bit worse, actually. <laughs> Merges were a lot worse because everybody was changing that one or two files.
1: Yeah, I was about to say you just moved where the contention was, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So what did you do as an alternative
2: to these statically typed toggles? Well, so basically we, I think we ran this experiment for almost a year. Yeah, it was a good year. Yeah. But in that year, I think we, you know, we proved at least that even if we had all of these problems and, you know, they were discovered over time, right? Yeah. So it's not like we just, day one, we had all the problems. Yeah. <laughs> um but Yeah. <laughs> uh, but. So we started looking at uh, alternative solutions, right? So we've proven that feature toggling seems like a good idea, we want to keep doing it. Uh, And then we started looking at, well, is there anything out there that already does this basically? Um, And then we kind of find, uh, we found this product called LaunchDarkly, which which seemed to do what we wanted to. So that's kind of, we started to build a solution around that.
1: Right, okay. So we moved from our our own feature toggle library to a service provided by an external company. What was different about it? Where What were the advantages?
2: Well, I mean, for right. me, I think the main thing is probably that it was, how to put it? Like it was a stable API and you could put it wherever you wanted with really simple and they didn't have the statically typed thing, they just had strings for your feature toggles and that made it really easy. Yeah, it was just right.
0: it was just on the server somewhere so you could just turn stuff on and off without any impacts to your code. So you wouldn't have to make a code change to turn a toggle on or off. You would just turn it on or off when they're good. And then then it's it's ready to go. So that, I mean, that was the biggest change for me is I didn't have all these merge conflict stuff to deal Mm. with.
2: I think we could put it wherever we wanted as well was another thing. Because one problem with the JSON file was that, well, how do you make that accessible if you're not on a server? And at this point we had started looking at the cloud and what benefits that could provide us. And as soon as we did that, it's like, well, we want to go into, I think at the time it must've been Azure worker roles. And they just didn't have that capability. So we needed something which allowed us to deploy feature toggles anywhere. Right. So you're looking for a distributed
1: system that enabled you just to add and remove these toggles without having to update code references, et cetera. Yeah. 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 Oh, that sounds good. Um, I guess that's not the end of the story, though, because adding feature toggles in, and and I I guess probably before that, just to frame it, we're using the feature toggles right now to protect us. So um, it's... At this point in time, feature toggles mean we can start building out a feature and know that it's not going to be called in production until we're ready to turn that toggle on, Um, which is great. But how does that impact the way you develop software? So you have to kind of give some
0: forethought before you actually do a line of code. So early on, and this is before launch, LaunchDarkly with our original feature package, you'd notice that, well, you had this feature thing let's put a feature flag for every little change so you know you do one thing oh we're going to do a small change to this you do the next thing you put a feature flag in it and you just end up having all these nested toggles and then you've got this kind of decision tree of well if it goes into here and then here and then here and then here so it was, um that was one of the the main learnings to a put in the rule that you just don't do nested toggles if there's a toggle in place you've got to wait for it to be removed and to really think about how you do your toggling before you start. So rather than maybe doing it everywhere you change your code, you might just do it at the highest level and then go one branch or go the other branch. Um, So there was a lot more
1: upfront thought about it. Mm. And I I guess for this to work and for you to know that your code, without the toggle on, is going to behave as it used to, you kind of have to accept a lot of duplication. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I mean, we have tons of code that is some name of method legacy <laughs> and then the, uh, the the true name of it and you just end up renaming so you do have a lot of that um i think the important thing is that you go back and tidy up fairly fairly quickly um so we would we'd always make sure that once the um the feature is out the toggle removal task was come up came up straight away um it's changed a bit recently because we have say long-running a b tests and stuff like that but it's, you know, it's an important thing to make sure
1: you clear those toggles up as soon as. Yeah, I think so. Otherwise, you're just building it upon your sort of technical debt. Yeah, on, yeah absolutely. And, and what about refactoring as well? So we've talked about features there, I think. But if you've got a bit of code that you want to safely refactor, do you, do you use feature toggles
2: for that? You You definitely can do, I think. Uh, But it is a challenge, right? So what I found at least is that if you want to do a big refactoring, what you kind of have to do is you kind of start at a very high level. So for example, if we take a MVC application, if I wanted to refactor uh, some internal logic in there, I would probably put a feature toggle in the controller. And then I would just say like, okay, this is the old path and I don't change anything inside of there. And then this is the new path. And now I change everything and I refactor that however I want. And that way, you can get yeah. I mean,
0: you, I mean, it, a lot of people take different approaches. Some people get quite granular about it. Sometimes you can r- hopefully rely on your test and compiler safety. So you know, you could do a load of refactoring, and you know, it's not going to break because it's all compiler safe, and mm-hmm. the tests around it are pretty good. So I think it's taking quite a pragmatic approach to it. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we have the luxury of amazing tests everywhere. So we do tend to feature toggle more than not, um,
2: unless we're confident, which,
0: you know, we're not always. So
2: I think another tool we can give a bit of a shout out to was we used scientist a bit, Mm. uh, which is basically a library which kind of allows you to run uh, two different paths of code and compare the output. It works best if the code doesn't have any side effects, obviously, otherwise (laughs) you you may be in a bit of a trouble, but uh, it was really useful when uh, changing stuff around basket calculations for example where you just want to verify that the value that you get out is the value you kind of expected mm. so that that was a useful little library
1: is that that more of a runtime testing um in production or yeah you yeah do yeah. it
2: in production then check
0: your logs yeah I mean, that, that was the only issue as scientists is that you'd have to remember to check the logs which people yeah did.
2: there is a performance <laughs> issue yeah. as well obviously so you know you need to be a little bit careful but uh, i think we we did find it uh, There were a few particular use cases where it was really useful i think yeah Uh,
1: you mentioned testing as well alex um with the feature toggle does that mean you actually effectively end up doing twice as much testing um it depends on
0: the school of thought you go down for the most part most developers will test based on the toggle being on and assume that the toggled off code hasn't changed which is a fair assumption um, the safer route would be to probably run your test test twice, once the toggle on, once the toggle off, or at least around the tests that affect that area. Um, it depends It depends who does it. I think both are perfectly valid. Personally, I go down the route of just having the test cover the toggle on because I'm fairly confident that the toggle off state hasn't changed. Yeah. Um, obviously, if I feel like the toggle off state has changed for some reason, then I'd wrap that in tests. But you should never really get into that case.
2: I think we would do manual testing, toggle off, at least I would always do yeah, a manual yeah. test, would be both with toggle on and off. And this is also where Alex was saying, we don't want nested toggles, because as soon as you do that, your test cases suddenly explode, right? Because yeah. now you have permutations of the toggles together, which just becomes really complicated.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds like a valuable piece of learning that really, not nesting your toggles. Yeah. <laughs> I could see how everyone would go down that route at some point or another. Um. So, we've spoken about feature toggles as a way to enable teams to develop concurrently on the same branch, uh, therefore avoiding merge conflicts, which sounds great. And we've talked about how we might clean them up afterwards at the end as well, just so that our code doesn't get too bloated. Um, One thing we haven't really spoken about is the other usage of feature toggles, which is to control behavior in a system, so you might have a bunch of levers where you can say. D- we might have an area which we don't want to have running live during product like production peak times or something, and we might want to be able to switch that off. Is that something that we also use feature toggles for? Y- yeah, yeah, we, we have do our to a certain toggles. extent. Yeah, I exactly. mean it kind
0: of sits either with the CMS or with LaunchDarkly. So the more CMS-based ones might be turning off certain payment providers or turning them on, um, and then we have some more, I guess, technical. Um, toggles in the code.
2: Yeah, and I think we've always had the ability to turn certain things off via database, for example, Mm. right? So Mm -hmm. classic for for MoonPig, we have a big product catalog. For example, it could be uh, if the system is struggling to upload images, maybe you turn off the cards, which has more than five images on them because that way you can kind of alleviate some of the pressure on the system. Uh, So that's that's another way and as Alex said like CMS and turning pages on and off and that kind of stuff And then yeah, the permanent feature toggles we do have in LaunchDarkly to a certain extent as well And the odd kill switch. Yes, exactly (laughs) Yeah, excellent. So I I guess they're a, a gift that keep on giving really these feature toggles. I think so I think they definitely they're solving a problem for us. I think I'm not sure if they're gonna always be useful or not. I think as we start breaking our system out more and more, and into smaller pieces, it may not be as required as they are today, but I definitely think that they will keep being useful.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, I think they'll be around for a while. I think it, it's hard to um, tell, especially new, more senior developers, what a feature toggle is in Moonpig M- world because in your head, a feature toggle is to turn a feature on or off. But we use it as a quite a big safety net. Mm-hmm. And it. I think that's quite hard for people to wrap their head around. So I'll be interested to see if that sort of concept changes. Yeah,
2: but it's definitely allowed us to move really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've been able to release changes very fast because we have relied on these feature toggles and I think the number of incidents we've had related to it, we can probably count on one hand, maybe two.
0: You learn quite quickly from those as well, because the, the sort of what what will happen is you put in a feature toggle and for some reason the toggled off code has changed you accidentally changed it um and that just breaks everything so you can very quickly learn when you um when you've broken a feature a feature toggle off state so yeah it's quite quite valuable learnings from those
1: okay great i think um it'd be quite nice to close the episode off uh with where we are now so we started the episode with where we were Perhaps now you could just explain what our development process is right now and how feature toggles have sort of fitted into that flow and how often we can release that sort of
0: thing. Do you me to talk because you don't really do it? <laughs> yeah. I <don't> <laughs> um, so, I mean, it hasn't changed too much. We all do, well, the majority of us do trunk-based. There are some people moving back to um, feature branches because it just, whatever fits with the team. Um, but feature toggles still play a massive part of our uh, development process. And it's usually the first thing we build is the, the if else statement. Um, and then once a branch has gotten through code review, it gets merged in. So there's still value to have value to be had with those um, feature flags. And then once it gets through, you do your regression testing of toggle on and toggle off uh, to make sure you haven't messed up the toggle off state more importantly. Um, and then you go kick it out and get it live. Um, Any code in progress doesn't really matter because it should all be under a feature toggle. And then once you've turned it on, you're happy with it, then you can look into the process of removing it. Um, Like I said earlier, we do have um, AB tests, which may last a couple of weeks or a couple of months. So you might not always clean up your toggles straight away, but um, you definitely do eventually. Otherwise, I come around and kick up a stink.
1: Uh, I guess the key thing really is that we are now in a place where we can release when we're ready.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, we've gone from releasing every couple of weeks to releasing if we want to several times per day. Uh, In the process, we've obviously also broken up that monolithic application into multiple services. And if you count the website and the services, I would say there is a release every day. Yeah, Multiple releases a day, definitely, yeah.
1: A wonderful place to be in. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so just going to finish it off with a question for you each. Um, I'm going to start off with you, Jakob. Um, Dragons or wolves?
2: Uh, I would have to say dragons. I mean, they're big and they have fire, right? It's like, what is there not to like?
1: Who doesn't like a dragon? (laughs) And Alex, glitter or gold? Glitter or gold.
2: Well, I think gold
0: because it's worth a lot more money. It's far less irritating when you get it all over you. So,
1: gold all the way. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, thanks again for uh, being on this episode and thanks again to you for listening. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.